Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 50, woohoo, of the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm so grateful for our amazing community, my amazing guests, and for all of you over these past couple years on the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. Also, I recently learned the sad news of the passing of Sister Mary Louise Degenhart, 2016 ASHP Whitney medalist and longtime ASHP team member in the accreditation division. Sister Mary Louise was passionate about pharmacy technicians and standards and lived a life of service, kindness, and faith. I'm grateful to have worked with her during my time leading the Pharmacy Technician Certification Board. She was a wonderful person and I so appreciated her leadership. For more information on the sister pharmacists, check out the Melissa RX Scripts podcast, episode 17 with Meta Lou Henderson. Well, now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Elisa Bernstein. Elisa and I are going to be discussing many things, including her experiences as interim CEO and executive vice president of the American Pharmacists Association, APHA, during this pivotal time in healthcare. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Elisa, and then let also her tell you about herself, her family, and her many varied adventures in life. Elisa has been active and engaged as an APHA member since her student days. She earned her Doctor of Pharmacy from the University of Michigan and her Juris Doctor from the American University Washington College of Law. Prior to joining APHA, she spent over 30 years advocating for pharmacy and patients at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, where she held several senior leadership positions, including serving as Deputy Director of FDA's Office of Compliance in the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, primarily focusing on drug regulation, Compliance, Enforcement, and Pharmacy Affairs. Elisa, thanks for being here with me today. Before we get started on your career and leadership experiences, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and life in Michigan. Yeah, thanks, and thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on your 50th episode. Had I known, I would have, I think gold is 50, so I I would have sent you something. That's okay. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm from a suburb of Detroit. I lived there until college and my entire family is still there. And I'm the lone sheep that left. I've got two brothers and an identical twin sister. And, you know, a little known fact, well, now it's not really going to be little known, is that I went to Michigan State for a year because my friends went there and I thought it would be good to get my own identity since my twin sister and I were so close. But when I realized that I wanted to pursue a career in pharmacy, because that's where I, I learned about the Doctor of Pharmacy program at the University of Michigan, I called up Michigan and said, you accepted me out of high school. Can, you, can I take you up on that offer now? And they said yes. So after a year, I switched to Michigan, and I really never looked back because I am a huge Michigan fan. In fact, I met my husband at Michigan. He was a waiter in my sorority. Two of my, I have three kids, two of them went there undergrad. My daughter is back at Michigan for medical school. And um, yeah, yes, um, Michigan 
tuition payments are really a fact of life for us. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, actually, I moved to Washington, D.C. for a PGY1 residency at the National Institutes of Health and have called Washington, D.C. my home ever since. Well, I love that. And um, there's a big smile on my face when you talked about being the lone wolf who went east, because I also am a Midwesterner, although from Illinois, and did the same thing where I went east, told my parents it was for a year, you know, when I did the APHA Executive Residency and Association Management, and then stayed out there 21. So those Midwest roots run deep. Um, but I think when we get a taste of what the East Coast has to offer for some of it, it's, it's just such a good fit. So I appreciate that. And I'm sure you enjoy going back home, especially Michigan in the summer is amazing. Yes, absolutely. I know that I actually like to drive. So I know that drive very well, unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately. Yeah. Well, I loved hearing about, you know, your journey and that you started at Michigan State and then went to Michigan. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your mentors, um, both pre and during pharmacy school? Yeah. So um, a mentor that I've had actually continuing through my entire pharmacy career and, and, and in school was um, a professor that I had in my first year of pharmacy school, Frank Ascioni. He ended up being the dean of the College of Pharmacy there. But at the time, he was just lecturing you know, a class in, uh, in just early kind of pharmacy 101. And um, I'm sitting in his class, and he one day early on, he called me and said, can you meet me in my office? I'd like to have a chat with you. So he sat down. I had no idea what it was. And he sat me down and goes, so what do you plan to do with your career in pharmacy? And I said, well, I plan to go to law school. And like law school, because back then there weren't a whole lot of pharmacy lawyers or pharmacists who also went to law school. So I explained to him that, and, and I don't know even know to this day why, but I knew I wanted to work at FDA. And I thought, well, if I had a legal background, along with my pharmacy background, it would give me a better opportunity to get a job at FDA. And so we talked about it and he, he says to me, well, okay, so that sounds like a plan, but why don't you channel some of that energy more in class into kind of raising your hand before you speak? <laughs> and, and so he kind of not only, um, we made this kind of connection of, of my career, but also really helping me channel some of my energy in different ways, um, which even led to some of the leadership uh, opportunities that, that I took on. Um, so that I, I continue to to keep in touch and and with him um, even even to this day, and other other mentors, you know whether close or afar, Lucinda Maine has always been. She, you know I, I can't. I, she's on everyone's list of of mentor. Whether you know even just having a conversation with her is it's always thought provoking, and she always has such inspiring advice and. You know, it's really, for me, made, it's why mentoring is so important. I always find the time to talk to students, to talk to others, whether it's law or pharmacy, and, and whether it's even just one simple conversation or having them come do a rotation. In fact, the, I was reminded the other day of, uh, I, whenever I see a pharmacy student, I love to just start and have a conversation and talk with them. And I was in a drive-through line at um, at a pharmacy once, just the drive-through window, 
And the person that came to the window, I could tell was a, a pharmacy student. She, she had her badge on. So we just started talking and chatting. So what are you doing? Where do you go to school? What do you plan to do? And I ended up making a connection from that. And she ended up coming on a rotation with me at FDA after that. And we've continued to um, keep in touch and talk throughout you know, her career since then. So you never know when you'll find someone, what a mentor or a mentee and, and how those connections happen. Yeah, boy, so powerful. You know, when you think about that conversation that Frank had with you and how impactful that was on your career. And, you know, I appreciate that you shared um, the impact that Lucinda Maine has had and Fun fact, you know, you and I are recording episode 50 today, but Lucinda Main was episode number one. And um, she was the person when I called and said, I have this idea. Um, I'm a little nervous about doing this. What do you think? And she loved it and was like, of course, I'll be on. And of course, I'd love to be your inaugural guest. So, you know, I think so many of us have benefited from her wisdom, from her leadership, from her belief, um, and also just her collaborative spirit in, you know, navigating through pharmacy practice and research and what's happening in, in pharmacy education. So love, love, love that you gave her that acknowledgement and recognition. And, you know, when we talk about mentors and recognition. I also want to acknowledge that I learned just recently in doing some research for today's podcast that you were recently honored by your alma mater um, with an outstanding distinguished alumni award. And that must have felt really cool, huh? It did. I, I was really surprised, very honored. As I said, I'm a huge Michigan fan, huge College of Pharmacy fan and advocate, though it did it did say um, lifetime achievement. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I still got more time. I still got a lot more in me. So that part got, was a little bit intimidating and overwhelming. But still, the, the fact that, that um, they, they honored me with that was um, really incredible. Well, kudos to you. And, you know, I, I think um, I really appreciate that you were recognized in the lifetime achievement. And I get that it, it can be sobering, but I think also, you know, you talked about some of the trailblazing things you've done related to um, the pharmacist attorney thing when not that many people were doing that in some other pieces. And, you know, when I mentioned your role as um, interim APHA, um, EVP, and CEO, you know, we know that you were the first woman, first female to be in that role. So really breaking some ground. And it's so wonderful to hear that you've recently been recognized. And I'm, I'm glad that you were able to soak that in and, you know, enjoy all of that. That's just really, really cool. Well, you know, as we were setting the stage for this, I talked a little bit about your senior leadership experience with FDA. And I loved hearing kind of the path that got you there, that it was pretty purposeful and thoughtful. And, you know, you did that for over 30 years advocating for pharmacy and drug safety. So let's unpack that a little bit because you were there. You were there a long time. And then you decided to make a career transition to leave the FDA and join APHA a few years ago. So how did this come about? Yeah, so I love working at FDA. That I saw myself at FDA for my entire career. I had at FDA I had progressive leadership roles, always in the drug state space. Um, I started with approving drugs and quickly moved to policy when I did when I ended up going to law school and worked on some really, really cool projects. And but my favorite job there was one that I wore a hat of director of pharmacy affairs. And 
I always worked closely with the pharmacy community, but that particular role was, I was the light liaison between FDA and the pharmacy community, which included APHA, AACP, ASHP, like the whole acronym, the whole alphabet soup of, of pharmacy organizations. And I met with and talked with them all the time in order to make sure that I understood and, and FDA had the um, perspective of the pharmacy community in the roles and policies that we do. And I could have stayed at FDA forever, but if I always said if I ever left, it would be to go to APHA, which is my pharmacy home, um, and use my pharmacy and legal skills and knowledge to advance the profession. And as I said, I admired Lucinda. Um, she had the, the a role at APHA many, many years ago in charge of pharmacy and, and government affairs. And Susan Winkler also had um, a very similar role at, at APHA. And so, you know, as I worked with them on the FDA side, I admired what they did and thought, I, I could leave, if I were to ever leave FDA, it would be for that. So a position came open at the same time I was eligible to retire from FDA. Um, I just had to wait to get, you know, kind of get those years and my age, and they have some some uh, uh, equation that allows you to be able to retire. And it just so happened that the position came open and talked to Tom Menigan, uh, who was the, the CEO at the time, and um, I got the position. I was so excited, though I have to say I never, ever thought it would lead to being the interim CEO of APHA um, which, for 13 months, which is a fantastic experience. So kind of things just kind of stumbled into place and so, so happy to be at my pharmacy home and working here full time. Uh, the novelty of working at the APHA headquarters ha has not worn off at all. And I've been here for three and a half years. You know, there's just so much there, Elisa. I, I appreciate that you referenced Susan because I was going to bring her up at some point. Susan and I have known each other since our student and executive residence days, um, lived together at one point in our 20s and have, have remained really good friends and loved. I had her on the podcast. I think she was number two, the second episode. So yeah, her career journey is just so interesting. And, you know, Tom, I just think the world of, we worked really closely together when I was, he was on the PTCB Board of Governors and and. I think that awe that you have related to, you know, pulling up to 2215 and walking through the Jack Russell Pope portion of the building and, you know, now the newer portion um, that was done um, several years ago, it's just amazing. And, and that the history that's there, but then also that, you know, this is where we are today and then this is where the profession's going moving forward. So that's such an, I was curious of how that all came about. So thank you for sharing. And I think what you kind of articulated related to your thought process is helpful for our, our community to just think about when they're looking at maybe a transition or a pivot, what could go into that? Well, thousands of pharmacists and student pharmacists and pharmacy technicians came together in Phoenix, Arizona this spring for APHA 2023. And you and I ran into each other a couple of times. It was super busy, um, a lot going on. And so that, you know, the meeting was really focused on addressing challenges and offer solutions to address and positively shape the future of pharmacy together. So how about, let's talk a little bit more, dive deeper on some of the key themes of the meeting in March. Yes, it was great seeing you there. I think that meeting was fabulous. There was such tremendous energy all around from everybody who was there. And I, I don't know if it, part of it was 
yeah, this is you know our second live meeting. I think people just realized that, um, okay, this is real. These in-person meetings are happening again. But also people were just excited to be back together, to be talking about things and be, to talk about things that aren't just COVID related. So our theme was rise in the face of adversity. And you know, you know that's what pharmacists and student pharmacists and pharmacy technicians did. Um, during COVID, and those numbers are astounding. John Grabenstein published an article that kind of pulled together all of the numbers that um, is just an amazing quick read reference that, that we gave over 300 million vaccine doses, 42 million COVID tests, and we saved you know, $900 billion of, um, of healthcare costs just from pharmacist contributions, but now we're past the pandemic. And, you know, looking beyond that COVID haze, we all know that pharmacists continue to provide this, you know, significant patient care that, that we were all trained to provide. And we made a difference during COVID and we're making and continuing to make difference in patients' lives. So at the meeting, we talked about not just COVID, but building on that and all that that pharmacists have been continuing to do and been doing. And we are now seeing wins in the states for advancing scope of practice. So there was a lot of programming at APHA 2023 to share those learnings and best practices, um, not only in practicing in these new areas, but in advocating for increased scope and payment. And that's an APHA priority advancing patient care services in the states and at the federal site level and, and actually getting paid for those services. And um, so we talked a lot about advocacy and some of the efforts that we're leading and co-leading at the federal and, and state level and working with state associations to support and guide their efforts. So that there was a, a lot of networking going on at APHA 2023. And it's also, you know, it was also a time to visit with friends, see people like, you know, you here, you know, we were in the DC area and hardly ever saw each other. So really a great time to, to reconnect. And I think that energy really sparked a lot of, of um, new relationships and built some old relationships and, and nurtured those as well. Yeah, you know, I, I love the shout out that you gave to John Grabenstein. I was fortunate to share, to um, be with John on the board of directors for the American Institute for the History of Pharmacy. So I got to know him a little bit better the last few years and just so admire his vision and, you know, the advocacy in the space that he's done related to immunizations and vaccines. And I think we're so lucky in the profession to have him as a voice and that he has wanted to gather data and research. So I'll make sure that we, in the show notes, share that a link to that article and then the other thing, and you touched on this, I, you know, there were so many magical moments during um, APHA 2023. And I think we were in a warm weather location. And so I don't know about you, but like when you would walk from the convention center back to the hotels, and then there would be just people sitting outside um, the Sheraton, it was like, oh my gosh, we're seeing friends. You know, that this whole idea when you run into people on an escalator or when people are waiting in line for Starbucks or whatever, like it's just something that we can't have when we're doing Zoom because there's these little conversations that happen or you catch up or you say, you know, how are the kids? I mean, I loved hearing about so many of our pharmacy colleagues who have seniors that were deciding on their um, 
college choices, you know, in these, in these spring months and things like that. So yeah, there was just real energy and the keynote speaker. I loved Inky, what his message, you know, about oh, not moving up and resilience. And then the second uh, keynote speaker series, you know, with Michael and then Dr. Jam. And I've had Dr. Jam, Jacinda Abdul Mutakabir on our podcast. And then she and I have really gotten to know each other in the last couple of years where we've done some other podcasts together and we've done some research and I have to tell you, Lisa, to meet her in person, oh, oh my yeah. God, I was, it was just like beyond, you know, excited. So, I, and I know that for many people, there were moments like that. There were people we had only seen over Zoom and then you're like, oh my goodness, you're here in person. This is so great. No, that was, it was tremendous. Yeah. I just, Inky and all of that they talked about, I think inspiration, it's just that kind of that key word that. I think that probably fed into some more of that energy that was felt throughout the rest of the meeting too. Yeah. Yeah. I will say though, um, and Kate Gaynor and I, in our last podcast talked about this, you do. Um, and this kind of is a nice tie to um, the next topic, but you have to get your, like um, your endurance related to the big walking that you do at those meetings. And remember like how big a convention center can be that it's like crossing a football field and all that when we haven't done that for a little while. So, you know, that does make it kind of, kind of fun. Well, we've talked a lot about leadership today and leadership really requires tenacity and maintaining both, you know, your mental strength and your physical strength. So let's talk a little bit more about what are some of your hobbies and ways that you take care of yourself and I know that this is mission critical for APHA, that, you know, APHA has a major commitment to well-being and resilience, and that addressing this issue is part of the association's strategic plan. Yeah, ensuring well-being is really important to me personally, for those I work with, and for our profession. So for me, I am a triathlete. I swim, I bike, I run, long distances, all in the same day. Um, so I am an endurance athlete. And I've done four full Ironman races and more half Ironman races than I can count. And, you know, that that requires focus and commitment. So I personally like to have a goal, make a plan to achieve that goal and then execute that plan. And it is a fun sport. It's expensive. Um, but I pretty much always race with my twin sister and we train virtually. We push each other and we keep each other accountable and it's for me, it's not about winning. It's about finishing and, and getting that medal at the end. And we also do a, a 300 mile ride and 300 mile bike ride in three days for make a wish of Michigan, a charity ride every summer, which kind of also takes that focus and training. But some of my best ideas come when I'm swimming, biking or running. I just kind of remember them like I can't write them down when I'm in the pool, but I, I do come up with some 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 good ideas. Most of them I forget, but those that I remember, I'll, I'll quickly write down. But and I can talk about triathlon for you know the rest for the next hour. But so back to well-being for the people I work with, making sure that they have the tools to do their job and. And that time to think is so important. It's so critical. So I'm always and constantly asking people that I work with, how are you doing? Checking in on them, looking, checking on their workloads and stress levels and figuring out how we can um, together reprioritize some of the things because 
around here at APHA, everything seems to be important, but it's not all important. And helping helping people that I work with really prioritize what needs to be done now versus what can be put on the back burner while you can focus your attention rather than focusing on 50 million things at once. And then for the profession, while being in workplace conditions is a top priority for APHA and we have tools and resources for pharmacy team members to assess their well-being. I actually have taken that. Uh, it's, a, it's a free test on our, our website, that our assessment. There's information about how to talk with your employer about issues, how to get in touch with professionals if you need to address well-being concerns. And we at APHR are, are focusing on driving the change that's needed with pharmacy employers, boards of pharmacy, and others to improve the situation. It is a top priority. We, we need to make sure not only that the profession is healthy, but those who help us in our profession, the pharmacists, student pharmacists, pharmacy technicians are able to do their job in a, a safe space. Well, I so appreciate learning more about um, how you take care of yourself and kudos, kudos, kudos on the Ironman um, and that you've done multiple, multiple. And I love um, the connection that you have with your twin sister on it and that you train together. And um, having done a couple things, um, you know, years ago, I did the Avon breast cancer walk where we walk 60 miles, you know, the, the process. Oh, yes. And the training is as much fun as important as when you've crossed the finish line. So I get what you're saying and then how you get, you know, your best ideas, you know, which is really, really cool. And, you know, it's been a theme that we've talked over these 50 episodes of the Melissa Scripps podcast about, you know, the importance of healthcare providers taking care of themselves so that they can, again, care for others. This whole idea of caring for the caregivers is just really, really important and I, I like that you've checked in with the APHA team because yeah, things, um, everything can seem urgent sometimes. And, you know, that's not really, you can't live like that if you're sprinting, that can only happen for a certain amount of time before people burn out or, you know, have challenges. And, you know, I think the, the points about what APHA is doing, and I know there's a lot of collaboration across the profession and interprofessionally to look at well-being and burnout and, address it and then look at what are some of the systemic issues that we can try to address and move forward. So I just want to say thank you for a acknowledging those resources because I think they're so important and I think the more that we shine a light on it that can actually help to resolve some of it um, but also for the important work that APHA has done and in collaboration with others to just address you know something really really important. So big 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 thank you on that. Well, maybe I can give you the yep. um, a link to some of those tools and resources for, for pharmacists um, that you can put in there in the meeting notes as well. I would love that. I would love Thank that. You. And also, I want to say good luck with your bike ride. You know, he, I've mentioned, I think, on an earlier episode here in Iowa, we have a big bike um, ride across the state called Ragbri. I've never done it, but I have been on the cheering squad because my brother and his wife did it a few years ago and rode through Iowa City. And so, 
you know, we were part of the squad. My family all came in from Illinois and we made big signs for them. And then I also hosted, cause there was a whole crew, about 10 of them rode together, which I'm sure happens when you ride that there's a little team that you ride with. Yep. And um, I hosted on our front lawn, a pie eating, pie tasting contest for when they were staying in Iowa city. So I have to tell you that was quite popular for the riders. <laughs> yeah. You're burning a lot of calories. You can eat a lot. Exactly. Eat right. Like so yeah. yeah, they loved our signs. And then they also loved, um, you know, stopping by for some fellowship and, and some, some good food, some sweet treats. So, you know, we've talked about healthcare and pharmacy that we're in a time of great change and evolution. So tell me more about, you know, your experiences being an ambassador for the pharmacy profession, you know, getting out there, telling the story to diverse stakeholders and audiences and building trust while putting pharmacists front and center. What does that look like? Yeah, well, so it's it's something that I've been doing in diff- all the different stages of my career because yep. the wonderful thing about pharmacy is there are so many areas that pharmacists that we can practice in. You know, whether you're actually seeing patients or creating policy or educating. And for me, my angle was always from a policy angle. And APHA was my policy training ground. This is where I continued to nurture and grow my policy um, passion for pharmacy. I was on committees, even in pharmacy school, and then throughout uh, my entire career, APHA um, provided me opportunities and I volunteered for opportunities for um, developing policy, reviewing policy, and in the APHA House of Delegates. So this is where I truly learned about pharmacy issues because I I worked at FDA. So at FDA, what I did did impact pharmacists and pharmacy, but it was from a different lens. And there I was that kind of ambassador for the profession and advocating for pharmacists and pharmacy within the agency and ensuring that policies and laws and regulations didn't adversely impact pharmacy and pharmacists and the patients we serve. And, you know, there were a lot of terrific pharmacists at FDA, but that was my job there. I'd love that. That was when I was the director of pharmacy affairs, particularly. And um, sometimes there were regulations that would have a detrimental impact on pharmacists and I'd push back or I would try to amend it in a way that decreased the economic impact or burden um, so that was great being an ambassador from within FDA, within the agency. At APHA, I've had tremendous opportunities to advocate for the profession, um, whether it's on Capitol Hill, meeting or briefing legislators or um, in the state, state legislators as well. And um, I have a lot of opportunities and have met with other healthcare professionals and patient groups to to talk about pharmacy and and even try and convince some of the, the medicine stakeholders how we need to work together because on, on some of the advocacy work that we do in terms of trying to advance the profession and, and scope of practice, we get pushback from the medical community. So it's really important to educate them that we're not trying to take their jobs. We're trying, we want to use our knowledge and our experience as medication experts to help their patients at, and, and be part of their, their healthcare team. I, uh, for the most part, a lot, of, a lot of people in the medical community understand that, but it's the, the, those who are pushing back on policies to help advance our professions, the, the, those are the hardest, the, the trickiest challenges 
to um, overcome and, and be that ambassador um, for the profession, as you say. But in this um, interim CEO role, it's really given me that opportunity to have that broader stage, whether it is in speaking engagements, writing engagements, even social media, to get um, the message of our profession out there. So I really appreciate that opportunity. Well, I, I love all those examples, Elisa, that you gave. And also, I think it reinforces, you know, lead from where you are. And, we, you know, when you kind of describe the arc of your career and how you were able to be an ambassador at different points and the importance of relationships and connections and that even in situations where it can be challenging or where a group may have a different opinion or a focus or, you know, they want to look at it a different way. I think building relationships and collaboration to say, hey, you know, what do we agree on or where can we go from here and, and what does that look like? And, you know, for our listeners out there, whether they're student pharmacists or seasoned practitioners to kind of understand that we all play a role in that and that, you know, it makes a big difference related <clears throat> to how we talk about what we do and in pharmacy and in the importance within the overall healthcare ecosystem. So I love sharing that. And I just really want to give a shout out to that. I know you came into APHA during a time of immense change. And you and I've shared this with you personally, but I want to publicly acknowledge the difference that you made in steadying the ship and just uh, reinforcing the inclusive nature of APHA and the home that the organization has for student pharmacists, for pharmacists, pharmacy um, technicians, and you know others interested in the profession, that that was so important. And you've just done a phenomenal job in your leadership in the last 13 months or, or whatever the exact time frame is. And I just want to say thank you as a longtime member. You know, I think um, you and I both became members as students and and how important that was and such such a, a big thing to do. And during times of change, um, leadership's not easy. So I appreciate your efforts and the difference that you made over these over this period of time. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. But it does take a village. Yes. We have um, amazing staff here at Team APHA and a great supportive board and members. So it's the, the guidance and 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 support that I got from um, all of those, um, the people that I work with and was um, extremely helpful. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, and I think as we've talked about the annual meeting, you know, in March, that village was, you know, on full display. You know, we kind of saw all the pieces, the, the membership and the attendees and people in the House of Delegates and definitely the outstanding um, board of trustees that many of, of them that you and I have worked with for years and the outstanding staff. Um, so with just our passion and energy. Well, boy, you and I could keep going. I know that for sure. And I'm so happy to be talking with this you this afternoon, but our time together is winding down. And at the conclusion of each episode, I do ask this question. Um, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? Yes, this is, so this is an easy question because I, as I mentioned earlier, um, I've mentored many, many, many students and others early in their career, and the and I'm always sharing with them to embrace leadership. That you know, I look at leadership experience when I hire or select someone for a position, and I encourage students and, and others to embrace and build their leadership skills. And part of that is knowing your strengths. So Strength Finders, it's a book, a test, 
Um, it helps you identify what your strengths are. I've even had my kids take strength finders so that they know what their strengths are and, and accept opportunities that will allow you to grow as a leader and cater to those strengths and take on roles that allow you to cater to those strengths. And, you know, you don't need to be a, the president of your chapter to, 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 to be that leader. You can volunteer to lead a work group or a project. It's really leadership is about bringing people together, identifying a goal, making a plan, leading others and executing the plan, achieving your outcomes, and then celebrating the successes. And that's what leaders do. You know, whether it is leading that work group or planning a party or a celebration, writing a regulation, or even being a CEO, those are the same steps. And knowing what those steps are and knowing that you have the confidence and the ability to, to work through those steps is what, what helps you become a leader. And with each new opportunity, you get experience and confidence in being that leader. And it's helped me tremendously in my career. And if it worked for me, I wanna help others use that, that, that prescription of embracing leadership to help them in their career as well. Oh, I just love that, love that. Embrace leadership and focus on your strengths. I think two really important messages and then just gain experience, lots of experience, so, so good. Well, Elisa, thanks so much for sharing your insights with me. This is the Melissa Rx Groups podcast. To everyone listening, please subscribe to our show. And I want to give a special shout out to our producer, Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solution that helps make the magic happen. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Melissa.